0: This whole conversation, this whole collection of talks has been centered around the fact that May is Mental Health Awareness Month to remind us that there are things in our life that are difficult and that there are things that we struggle with and that we have to have a reality discussion about them with an understanding that mental health and things like stress and anxiety and fear and today's topic are real things and there's no stigma around them that we can have an honest conversation and not feel ashamed if you look at your note card that first verse comes from the book of Psalms chapter 143 or no Psalm 34 and it says this I Sought the Lord and he answered me. He delivered me from all my fears, and those who look to him are what? Radiant. Their faces are never covered with what shame. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the one who takes refuge in him. And I want you to see today, as your pastor, that when you take refuge in the Lord, you will be blessed. And most importantly, you will not experience shame in your life. Because let me tell you this: that shame is not something that comes from God. If you remember back when God created Adam and Eve, if you're unfamiliar with that story, God created the first two people, Adam and Eve, placed them in the Garden of Eden, paradise, and they messed up. They went against what God said. I've been hearing a lot lately, how could God create a world with all this turmoil and troubles? Well, He didn't create that world. He created a paradise, but He had to create that paradise with love, and love does not exist without choice. Otherwise, it's control. And so God gave us The choice to follow him or not, to trust him or not. And Adam and Eve messed up, and we continue to mess up today. But what it says in in the scriptures in Genesis chapter 2 is that when they sinned and messed up, is that they felt shame. Shame was something they brought upon themselves. See, we can feel guilty for the wrong things that we do and feel guilty for some of the things that may be going on up here. But I promise you, you don't have to step into shame. Because God wants you to move from guilt and step into victory to understand that you've been forgiven and set free. And that today's topic, I believe, will be freeing for you in this room, or maybe it'll be freeing for someone that you're going to talk to this week that you can share these truths with. And today's conversation is on overcoming depression. A real thing. A real issue. I've been reading some statistics, and just they're off the charts with the fact that we are a lonely generation right now. We are a lonely culture. We've stepped into unhealthy habits from things in 2020, and we're still letting those affect us. And that isolation and that loneliness is causing us to live with depression every single day. That people feel it, and that some people feel it to the point of where they're taking their own life. Because they feel so worthless, they feel so shamed, they feel so broken. And if you're feeling that way today, my hope is that you would allow God to comfort you this morning and that you would allow him to use me to speak some life into your situation and that you cannot just deal with depression because that's not what God wants for you. God doesn't want you to deal with something, right? Like, okay, I figured out how to carry this burden in my life. That's not what God wants. What God wants for you today is to let go of the burden, is to lay it down, is to be free today, is to throw all those stresses, all those anxieties, all those depressive emotions on him because he can carry it way better than we can and he can actually defeat it when we never could. And we don't have to walk through life as a victim. We can step into victory today. And as we pray and as we lean into this conversation, I pray that you would allow every other thought, every other thing you're thinking about to be removed from your mind right now and to completely just empty yourself so that you can be filled up with the power of God's word and his message for you today. That sound good, everybody? All right, good. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes and let's step into this. Father, we're thankful that you are here with us. And God, I pray that we would do two things this morning. We would listen and we would lean in to the truth that you're giving us and help us overcome and step into victory today. And God, I pray for all of our kids next door and local city kids, I pray that you would love on them today through our volunteers and leaders over there. And I pray that you would help them continue to fall in love with their very best friend, Jesus. And God, we trust you today and we know you have something special for us in Jesus' name. We all say, come on, give me one last good amen, local city. Come on, let's go, let's go. Let's get the notes out, get our pens out, ready to discuss some things. As I said before, we're experiencing some really fun milestones in our life right now with our son graduating from VPK. Our second son, Teddy, is celebrating weight gain because he's big and chunky and all the good things like that. He's got a ton of teeth coming in. But in those moments, my wife and I have found that parenting and and stewarding a life is very difficult, is hard. And sometimes those emotions can get the best of us. Sometimes those feelings can begin to overwhelm us. And what I want to help you with today is to realize that you don't have to figure out who can who can I turn to in this? Who can I who can I turn to? Because I know that my wife has made some people feel great and other people have made us feel great when they've been telling us their stories with their kids and we've been like, "Oh, You too? And they're like, yeah. Oh, thank God. We're not horrible people, right? Like we're just going through this thing. And I hope today as I share some of my own personal story and as you see some things in Scripture that your reaction would be, oh, them too? Oh, thank goodness. I'm not crazy. I'm not the only one. Because the enemy would love to do one thing. When I say the enemy, I mean Satan, the devil, a very evil force and person who's trying to destroy your life. He would love nothing better than to make you feel like you're on a deserted island, all alone, by yourself. And you're the only one who deals with this. It's you that's weird, and everyone else is normal. That's not the case. And we see that with a guy by the name of David in Scripture. If you turn to your notes, it will be up on the screen as well. In Psalm 143, 7 through 10, it says this. Come quickly, Lord, and answer me, for my depression deepens. Maybe that's your prayer today. God, I'm here in church, I'm giving you a chance, so I need you to come quickly and answer me. Why? Because my depression deepens. Let's just stop there for one moment and let me tell you, this is the David of David and Goliath. This is the David where the Bible says he is a man after God's own heart, the only person that the Bible describes someone as with that title. Isn't it interesting to know that this mighty warrior who slayed the giant Goliath, This person who is said to be a man after God's own heart, who was the king of Israel, God's chosen person, says, my depression is deepening. And what does he do in those moments? He says, Father, I pray that you would not turn away from me or I will die. Let me hear of your unfailing love each morning. Why? Because I'm trusting you. Show me where to walk, for I give myself to you. Rescue me from my enemies. Lord, I run to you to hide me. Teach me to do your will, for you are my God. May your gracious spirit lead me forward on firm footing. I want you to have firm footing today. As I've said before, I am a parent, and so one of the things that we have, and we've had them at church before, is that we love to rent, and we love to go to places that have bouncy houses, right? Like, I know they are probably the most germ-ridden filth you could place your kid in, but that little bounce house acts as like a babysitter for a few minutes, so you can get a little breather, right? And I don't know if you've ever had your kid have a tantrum inside the bouncy house, and you as the grown adult have to walk in to this bouncy house to retrie- retrieve your child and you walk in there and there is no such thing as firm footing in those moments i mean i got to remember that i'm a pastor in those moments cuz i know there's been times where shepherd's been having a tantrum in a big old bouncy house and all the kids are still bouncing and he's like a little bean bouncing around in there and i walk in and i'm like all right kids cut it out i'm trying to get my son okay Hey, stop! Right? Like, you get all crazy, and there's no firm footing. You feel like you're going to fall down. Meanwhile, you feel like you're going to lose it, because you're just trying to get your screaming kid out of there. I've been there, okay? And you could say, man, you're a little crazy. Yeah, I know, because it's crazy being a parent. It's crazy trying to figure life out. It's crazy trying to solve an insane situation, and it's those moments where you don't feel like you have any firm footing. And I feel like in life... We can step into the bounce house of depression and emotions. Everyone else is bouncing around having a great time. But we're trying to care for something. We're trying to help someone. We're trying to do something. And it feels like no one sees us. We have no firm footing. But my encouragement to you today is, yeah, you're going to go through seasons like that. You know what I never did in those moments? All right, Shepherd, you're not worth it, buddy. I'm leaving when you come on out when you're ready. No. Because every parent watching would be like, yo, that dad is not only crazy, he is horrible. And we feel sometimes that when the firm, we begin to not have firm footing, we stop on the journey of what God has called us to. And I believe that there is something within us that needs to realize that we always have firm footing in our heavenly Father God. What does David say? He says, I let me hear of your unfailing love each morning. Why? Because I am trusting you an active verb, a present tense verb of right now, God, I am depressed. It's deepening, but I am trusting you. What is happening in David's life right now? Well, he's the king at this time, and his son, his son Absalom is staging a huge mutiny against him. He's been standing at the city gates for a long time saying, Hey, you know, my dad, he's not the best king. And I could do a way better job. So why don't you come follow me and let's overthrow this guy. And so that went on for a season after season. And eventually, Absalom stages this whole mutiny against his father. I don't know how that would make me feel, but I know that would make me feel pretty hurt. If my son would turn against me and create people and rile people up to come against me. And David is dealing with that. He is feeling the weight of this situation. He is feeling the difficulties of it. He is feeling the heartbreak and betrayal. And he says, God, my depression is deepening, but my trust in you is not changing. My situation is getting worse, but my trust in you is staying the same. If I could give you the sermon in a sentence, really, or the message in a moment here, it's this right here that I want you to take with you this week, if you'll write it down. It's that don't make permanent decisions based on temporary emotions. I think that's what that's supposed to say. Yeah, I think the screen is incorrect. Sorry about that. But don't make permanent decisions based on temporary emotions. You ever said something that you really regret? And you made a permanent decision when you were feeling a temporary emotion. Can we be honest in here? Anybody? All right. A few of us in here. Okay. I appreciate the honesty. We'll get you to the rest of you. We'll get you there by the end of the message. But we don't make permanent decisions based on temporary emotions. That is, the de- in my opinion, the definition of why people want to take their life. They feel like, it can never get better than this moment. It can never get better than what I'm feeling right now. And so I'm going to make a permanent decision. Maybe you're in this place and you've ended relationships or you've stopped doing things or given up even on church and God for a while and you made a long-term permanent decision based on something you feel temporarily. Let me just tell you, being led by temporary emotions is never a good idea. And a lot of times we lean in on things that are not why we are here, that we lean on things that are not why we're created. Why I love this passage from David is that he's not saying, all right, God, this is really difficult, so you better do something. All right, God, this is really difficult, so you better answer me. He is saying that, but what he's leaning in on is, God, I just want to know that you are there with me, and I want to trust you deeper in this this moment. He's not giving God any ultimatums. He's not Giving God any sort of doubt. He's saying, God, I know who you are and I need you to show up in this situation. He's not giving up based on what's going on in his life right now because he's seen God do some things in his life. See, I think when we go through these depressive situations in our life, we have to remember that a faith that is tested is a faith that can be trusted. A faith that is tested is a faith that can be trusted. How can you trust your faith if you never let God put it through anything? How can you trust what God is doing in your life if you never have any difficult situations? And what happens is we begin to lean on things. I, I stumbled across this quote in 2020, and I think it still helps with the recent release of the Surgeon General study about how we are the, one of the biggest factors right now contributing to mental health in our life is loneliness, is this quote from a guy by the name of Stephen Yardi. It says, we were never designed for the sedentary, indoor, socially isolated, fast food laden, sleep deprived, frenzy pace of modern life. It's not what we were designed to do. Let's add a few things. We were never designed for the binge watching, right? Not, you know, just hiding away in our dark room, away from people under the covers, like people are the boogeyman. We weren't designed for that. We weren't designed for isolating ourselves in our own silos of, of what we think or how we vote or how we identify. We were not designed for a siloed, isolated life. We were designed and created for community. We were designed and created to be together. That's why I will say it again and again till I'm blue in the face. The reason that 2020 was so scary and intense and we're past it, but the reason it was so bad is because it robbed us of the one thing that we needed and it was what we're doing right now. Being together, realizing that yes, I'm going through some things, but I can lift up my hands and worship because my God is bigger than those things. Yes, I need some help, but I also know that the person in the row with me is going through some things too. So we can pray together and we can be together and we can lift each other up because we cannot do this life alone. Where does depression thrive? When you're alone, when you're by yourself, when you are constantly speaking to yourself in the mirror, it doesn't get better than this or it won't get better than this. You need some people in your life who grab you on the shoulder to say, hey, it's going to get better. Take as many of these there is always hope wristbands as you want when you leave. Take one for every day because you need it. You need to remember that. And see David it didn't just stop with Absalom. David suffered from depression in different scenarios as well. There was a moment, maybe you've heard of this story, where David is number 1 not where he's supposed to be at this time he's the king. And kings were supposed to go out to war when the when the country was at war. And so David's at home when his country's at war. And if you've heard the story, you know that he kind of wanders to an isolated place, the roof of the palace. And he looks over and he sees a woman on her roof by the name of Bathsheba taking a bath. Ironic. And he says, That looks great. I I want that. And he's married. She's married. They commit adultery. And David begins to realize that he sinned and messed up. And he tries to cover up his sin. He sends Bathsheba's husband to the front line, and immediately in the front line, it was pretty much like a death sentence in those days. And he dies. And he covers all of this sin up and he covers his mistakes up. And it takes a prophet by the name of Nathan coming to him and saying, hey, David, you have messed up. He actually tells him a story where he says, imagine if there's a man in your kingdom, David, that his next door neighbor has this prized lamb. And that man covets his neighbor's lamb and he goes and he kills the neighbor so that he can take that lamb. And David said, tell me who it is. I'll throw him in prison. I will take everything from him. And Nathan says, well, buddy. Sorry to break it to you, but that's you. And Scripture tells us that David breaks down, rends his clothes in despair and sadness. And in Psalm 38, we pick up his conversation with himself. Here's what it says. I'm on the verge of collapse, facing constant pain. But what does he do? But I confess my sins. I am deeply sorry for what I've done. I have many aggressive enemies. They hate me without reason. They repay me evil for good and oppose me for pursuing good. Do not abandon me, O Lord. Do not stand at a distance, my God. Once again, come quickly to help me, O Lord, my Savior. You ever said that before? I'm on the verge of collapse. I cannot do this anymore. I'm in constant pain. And a lot of us, Myself included, we usually stop there. Oh, man, we as humans, we love to wallow in this thing called self-pity. Oh, this life is so hard. Oh, people hate me. Never, nothing's ever going to work out for me. I know that I have found myself in those situations. I grew up as a very emotional high school kid. There was a whole genre of music called emo where all you did was sit and cry in your dark room about how no one loved you, and you wore black clothes and dyed your hair black and wore black eye makeup because you're like so sad, <laughs> the world hates me. Sorry, but that's not how we're supposed to live. And, so, and sometimes it is the way we believe we're supposed to live as Christians. Oh, I'm never be happy here. Oh, life's out to get me. And that's not the case. I love what David says. I don't just sit here and wallow. I do something about it. What do I do? I confess to the fact that I have done some crazy bad stuff. I confess it, and I'm deeply sorry for it. Can I can I just pastor you for a second? And maybe the root of some of the depression you're feeling is cuz you t- refuse to acknowledge some of the things that you've done that you know hurt others or hurt yourself that you need to just ask for forgiveness for. Maybe some of the depression you're feeling is one simple phone call away to let someone know, hey, when I said that, I'm so sorry, and would you please forgive me? Maybe your breakthrough and your miracle of stepping out of that victimhood and into victory is simply taking ownership for, yeah, I am sorry for what I've done. Because listen, the enemy loves to use those secrets. He loves to use those sins to destroy you from the inside out. He loves to make you feel like you are worthless and horrible. And no one is a greater enemy than ourselves. And what I love about David is he does the healthy thing and he doesn't take the journey into the unhealthy process. The healthy thing is outward conversation with God. God, I'm on the verge of collapse. I'm constantly in pain. But I'm not going to stay here, God. I'm going to confess. I'm going to be sorry. And I know there's a lot of enemies coming at me. Every day it seems like something new is attacking me. But what is he, I love what he says. Again, he doesn't just say, God, solve all my problems. What does he ask of God that I believe we should ask of God daily? Do not abandon me. Do not stand at a distance. You want to know the secret, I believe, to overcoming depression in your life? Get closer to God. And I'm not saying it as such a, a religious thing. I believe it can help you. Now listen, as I've said before, we believe there's no stigma on mental health. We do need to have the honest conversations here. But as I've said over the, over the weeks, I'm a believer in counseling and therapy. I've been to it myself. I'm a believer in medications and prescriptions that reset our minds and help us get back on track. But those are things that are all supplemental to the significant source, which is God stepping into your life and being close to you and Jesus being your most important relationship and understanding that it is not those things things that made you victorious, it was the sacrifice and death of Jesus and him walking out of the grave alive that made you forgiven and set free and victorious today. Come on, if you're thankful for that, I need you to give me a little bit of praise today. Not me, I need you to give Jesus some praise. See, the thing is, it's that those things are great, but they're no replacement for God. And I know this, I grew up in, I just got to tell you, I grew up in this generation and I get where the argument comes from, because I hear it joked about. Where the church would always say, well, you know, if you want to feel better, just read your Bible more and go to church more. And yeah, I understand that people would say that insensitively. And it was not the whole answer. There were deep conversations that needed to to happen. There were deep medical things and counseling and therapeutic things that needed to happen for that soul and that person and that spirit to get healthy. But can I just remind you that that doesn't mean we throw out reading our Bible more and going to church more and listening to worship more. We don't want to say, well, that that was their answer, and it didn't make me feel better, so I'm just... No, 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 no. They're insanely important. They are the things that begin to wash you clean in your mind and your emotions and your thoughts. So they are the thing that we need to do as we're getting healthy. Those are the things that we need to do as we're stepping forward. Let me give you a couple quick things about this idea. We see this with David, is that he understood that, number one, his emotions were valid, but they're not permanent. Again, your, your feelings and emotions, they're valid. I'm not saying you not to feel. you got to feel because we are not supposed to be some just like automaton robot that's like life is good, God is good, too blessed to be stressed. That's not what we're supposed to do at all. And I know people like that. They're a little crazy because I want to just identify with someone and have a real conversation. They're valid, but they're not permanent. Again, I will say it, probably the thing I'll say every week for this collection of talks, choices lead, feelings follow. Feelings are valid but they're not permanent. We have an entire culture that lives by their feelings. I'm angry at you, so you're the worst. Get away from me. Canceled. Unfollow. Blah, blah, blah. And that's just not a mature way to live your life. They're valid, but they're not permanent. I was reading about a study, and this is is the whole thing about how emotions affect the way we see things. It was a study that they gave people who had been, who I identified or been even diagnosed with depression and people who would identify that, they're, that they were thankful and blessed in their life. And they had them do, they had them do one simple thing. And as a, as a former kid, I would, like, I would like to take this study. They had them play a video game. And they had to like kill these little monsters in the video game. And what they found is that the people who were diagnosed with depression and identified that way, that, they, that when they asked them, how many little monsters did you kill in the video game? They were only off by like four or five monsters. They knew exactly how many they killed. But when they interviewed and asked that follow-up question to the people who identified as blessed and feeling in a good place in life, they identified or they pretty much came from the study resulted that they said that they thought they killed like 10 to 12 times more than what they actually did. Now why is that an important thing to realize? It's because yeah, what's going on in your life, true, valid, but it'll keep you depressed. It's not about being right. It's not even about being accurate. It's about realizing that when I have a where does my help come from? Looking up to the heaven's approach to life, fixing my eyes on the things of heaven and fixing my eyes on the things of God, I will begin to realize that things are way better than I thought, that I have joy for the morning, that I'm overwhelmed with the goodness of God, that I truly have tasted and see that God is good. So it may be accurate that I only killed this many, but I feel like I killed a thousand and I'm feeling pretty good, so let's keep going. It may be accurate that your life is only right here, but because of the insight and wisdom and power of Jesus and the Holy Spirit, in your life, you're on cloud nine saying, God's with me. God's on my side. What can man do to me when God is with me and God is on my side? Come on, somebody, if you believe that today, I need you with me today. (laughs) Number two, number two, your situation feels hopeless, but with God, there's always hope. said it before, grab another wristband today. And I changed the original write-in from always hope to with God. Because I need you to understand that's where it is, nowhere else. But with God, there is always hope. Not with God and, not with me and my preferences and my desires. Me and God. But with God, there is always hope. When he is in my life. I was reading another study about depression. It was actually a TED Talk from a a doctor. And he said that the opposite of depression is not happiness. It's vitality. And what does vitality mean? That my life is doing something that my life is moving, that my life is active, that I am going somewhere. I am making a difference with the life that God's given me. With God, I am continually taking one step after the other, deeper into the victory that Jesus gave me. So if you're waiting to be happy, you will stay where you're at your entire life. But if you realize that the opposite of depression is vitality, realizing that even if I don't feel like it, I'm going to do it, I'm going to make a difference, I'm going to encourage, I'm going to pray for people, I'm going to be in God's house, I'm going to be a light in my workplace and in my neighborhood, then I promise you those things will begin to change. Those deep depression emotions and feelings will begin to change. A guy by the name of Jeremiah who was a prophet in the Old Testament said this in Lamentations chapter 3. I love this. Circle it with every ounce of energy you got. Yet I still dare to hope when I remember this and only this. The faithful love of the Lord never ends. His mercies never cease. Great is what? His faithfulness. His mercies begin afresh each morning. I say to myself, the Lord is my inheritance, therefore I will hope in him. I pray that you would circle this, write it down somewhere, even set it as a reminder every single morning. Yet, I still dare to hope, no matter what. And I love that it says, great is his faithfulness and his mercies. What? Begin afresh each morning. It's why we talk about this thing called the first 15. First 15 minutes of your day. Five minutes in God's word. Five minutes in prayer. Five minutes of worship. And see how that doesn't change the trajectory of your day. Because what? The mercies are afresh each morning. We're still thinking about all the mistakes and sad things we went through yesterday. And God's like, hey, I'm, I'm with you today. Let's keep moving forward. I know those are real emotions. I'm not telling you not to feel. But I want you to know I'm with you today. And let's figure out how to begin to be a solution. Let's figure out how to take a step forward. Let's figure out how I can go with you in this to remind you that there is always hope. See, I love what Jeremiah is doing. At this time, his home is being utterly destroyed. It is being destroyed. By outside enemies coming in and taking things and taking people. And the book of Lamentations literally means the book of lament. What does lament mean? Like just insane, wailing, crying. You got some ugly criers in the room? I'm one of them. Ugly cry. <laughs> like it happens. It happens. And it's lamenting. It's sad. It's sorrow. And this is what this book is all about. But what does Jeremiah say? at The very beginning, yet I still dare to hope. See, in the beginning of this chapter, he's literally going through everything he's feeling. Everything he's feeling is destruction and loneliness and forgotten about by God. All of these things. And here's why he's doing this. I want you to write it down. It's your first practical step today as we begin to close. Is that naming my emotions opens the door to changing my emotions? Honestly, it's why we have the one of the reasons we have the prayer team come up here after service every Sunday. Because until you name how you're feeling, it's impossible to change it. Like, that's why when you go to the doctor, they say, tell me some of your symptoms. And you tell them actually what your symptoms are. You don't go to the doctor and and say, I I understand you're feeling sick. What are your symptoms? And you just don't say anything. Number one, your doctor would be like, oh, maybe we need to call like a psychiatrist to come in here because this guy won't talk to me. What's going on? You have to name your symptoms. And when you have people up here, you can come up and say, hey, here's how I'm feeling. And I promise you our prayer team is awesome. They will not judge you. They want to be like, oh, what? Pastor Ryan, come over here. No. Like, that's okay. I've been there too. And I want to help you change that. I want to help you move forward. Naming my emotions opens the door to changing my emotions. And what happens? Jeremiah names all those emotions in the first 20 verses. And then he says, but I still dare to hope, and I'm going to change my emotions. I'm going to let my choices lead, and my feelings follow. Number two is, I will not isolate from my community or calling. I will not isolate from my community or calling. I love this idea of this understanding of that God's given us two great gifts, and that's community and calling. Again, like I said, I was doing a lot of research for this discussion, and and I was reading about some counselors who went out to the tribes of Africa because even in the tribes of Africa, depression's a real thing, and they're having conversations with some tribes out there and people out there who were dealing with depression from grief and loss of loved ones and things like that. And they kind of did what they did as counselors. And they did their practices and their methods. And and they did a follow-up with the tribes. And it was funny, when they would talk with some of the tribal leaders, they would say, you know what's interesting is that when we told them that the people that said we were going through these depressive emotions and thoughts that they just wanted us to go into like this little hut and like sit down and just talk. And that was weird to us because none of the prescription was to get out and go do something together with the tribe or to get out and have fun with some friends or to get out and go hunt or do something like gathering and providing. It was all like let's go retreat and isolate into this little room and just talk about their feelings. And we understand it helped a little, it helped But we felt like there was something more because that's what we've done in the past. And it was interesting to think that I believe that that is kind of our approach sometimes, is that we begin in our weaknesses to just wanna go hide away and just begin to talk and talk and talk, which is important, but we forget that maybe I just need to get out and have some fun again. Maybe I need to get out and just schedule something that I'm looking forward to, like get a vacation on the calendar, get a date night on the calendar, get something fun that I can look forward to, get back to serving in God's house again, get back to making a difference, get back to doing something with vitality and not isolating by myself, but taking a deeper step into community and calling. Here's this quote that I love. It says, look carefully at the closest associations in your life, for that is the direction you're headed. Say it this way, show me your friends, I'll show you your future. Show me who you follow, I'll show you your future. Better way to say it. And one of my favorite books, Man's Search for Meeting, by a author by the name of Viktor Frankl who studied people that went through the Holocaust and how they got through it, here's his main sentence from his book that he got, is that people have enough to live by, but nothing to live for. They have the means, but no meaning. See, right now, you could Google, how do I deal with depression, and you would get a thousand results. You have the means to figure it out. But the one thing Google can't give you, that only God can give you, is meaning. Why am I doing it? If I'm only doing it to get healthy, awesome. Well, what if i suddenly ain't unhealthy anymore? But if I'm, if I'm doing it to not only be healthy, but so that I can make a difference in someone else's life, and that gives me meaning, gives me a reason to wake up in the morning, gives me a reason for the breath in my lungs. I know I've got enough to live by. I'm blessed. But really the most important thing is I have something to live for. What do I have to live for? In fact, I know that when I was at my worst and I shouted out, God, come quickly, do not stand at a distance, he came into my life. He gave me that firm footing. He helped me realize that, yes, what I'm feeling is valid, but today I can trust in him. And he's given me a very best friend. And That friend has a name, and that name is Jesus. And when I deal with those things, I have someone I can turn to And I have a great defense against depression, and it's the fact that I know that I can make a difference in someone's life by praying for them. I can make a difference in someone's life by inviting them to this house. We have these little cards that I'd love for you to go grab one, especially during the summertime, that say, make someone's day every Sunday. And it's an invitation to what we say, not a have to, but a get to. And it's to join what we call the home team here, to teach some kids about Jesus, to park some cars, to hold a sign that says you look great today, to set some stuff up and realize that I have something that I can live for now, that I was born to do this. I was born to build God's house. I was born to help people. It is statistically and science driven proven that one of the best ways to overcome depression in your life is to get the focus off of you and onto others and to see the difference that you've made. And again, we're not saying this with some sort of fluidity. We say it with some force and confidence. Why? Here's the last thing to write down. It's because I believe that all of us can have unbreakable devotion to the promises of God and covenantal commitment to God's character. I want you to know that you can be devoted to the promises of God, that I will never leave you or forsake you, that I will provide the taste and see that I am good. It's a promise today. And then we can be covenantly committed to that. And by commitment, I mean come hell or high water, you are committed to the fact that God is who he says he is. And his character is never changing. And I pray today that it's not about the title of today was a little bit overly, a little bit misleading. It's not about me overcoming depression. It's about realizing that Jesus has overcome everything. And the more he comes into my life, the more these things naturally happen. The more I understand who he is, the more I stand on the foundation of who God is and what he's promised. And I begin to take one step after the other into victory. I'm simply going to trust him. Not going to let... I'm not going to make permanent decisions based on temporary emotions. I'm going to be devoted to the promises of God and committed to God's character. Because God is, he was, and he always will be no matter what. And because of him, I can overcome depression, anxiety, stress, fear, and failure because he is my God. And I'm trusting him today. I love it. I'm thankful for it. And I believe it can and will change your life. Would you stand to your feet with me today? Thank you so much for joining us in the Local City Podcast. I want to encourage you to take the message you just heard and allow it to go deeply into your heart. Let Jesus do the deep work that only he can do. A special thank you to everyone who gives to Local City Church. Your generosity makes this podcast possible and creates life change for so many people. You can be a part of spreading this message by going to localcity.church/give. You can also subscribe, rate, and share this message with your family and friends. Thanks again for listening. God bless you. Have a great day.